and uh, we have started this new year, and uh, the weather is beautiful. I hope you're getting outside and enjoying this beautiful weather we have. It looks like it's going to be there for another few days for sure anyway, um, but new year all often brings us to a place where we want to stop and reflect and make some goals, some resolutions, whatever. Um, I do a little bit of that, not tons, because I usually break them three days in, but uh, uh, I don't know what you thought about in terms of planning and strategizing, goal setting, going to eat a little less or eat a little more, I don't know, uh, exercise more, great, again, the weather's beautiful for that, um, you know, slow down a bit more, you know, maybe, like I was driving the other day uh, with Chloe, and uh, she reminded me that this area was only a 50 zone, not whatever I was going, um, but um, not that I have a problem with speeding, I'm pretty careful, I used to, but I, I'm pretty careful these days, but um, many of us want to be careful as we drive, because we don't want to get a speeding ticket, um, or is it because it's the safe thing to do? Hmm, good question. Um, speeding uh, is not a good thing because we will get a ticket if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. But it is a safe thing to do as well. Um, and so there's things that we do or not do because of the consequences, right? How many of us uh, change our batteries and our smoke alarms and smoke detectors? I try to check mine every uh, uh, daylight savings. I check them all. I make sure that we have our fire extinguishers in the right place, one downstairs, one upstairs. Because that's a safe thing to do, right? No one's going to give me a ticket for not having one. However, not to have one is a big deal. I change them. I make sure they're in the right place because the stakes for not having a fire extinguisher or my fire alarms working, it's a big deal. The stakes are high. I want to be warned if there's going to be a fire, if there's a smoke, or if there's a little problem, or if there's a little fire, I can put it out with my fire extinguisher. I want my family to be safe because the stakes are pretty high for not having those things in place. Well, we are in week three of our sermon series from the book of Jude. A faith worth fighting for. A faith worth fighting for. And today we're going to look at uh, three verses from Jude. Jude's just one chapter. And we're going to look at verses five through seven. And we're looking at three examples that Jude gives to help us understand that the stakes of keeping the faith are really high, are really high. Jude warns of people who have crept in uh, into the church that are among us that are corrupting the gospel, who have watered down the faith. Last week, Pastor Scott said the main idea to that message of last week was defining the fight. And he did a wonderful job of defining what the fight really is. Jesus only. And that message is really a, a precursor to this one. So if you haven't listened to his message, you need to, because that will help you understand this message this morning. This week, the main idea is that we must realize the stakes. Realize that the stakes for this faith that we're fighting for that Pastor Scott talked about last week is a really big deal. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus only. Jesus only. Realize the stakes are high. For anyone who chooses to deny Jesus as Lord, to disobey God, who strays from the faith, who tries to change the gospel and teach something completely different, what's written in this book, the Bible, and the Bible only, 
the consequences are eternal. They are eternal. So let's read. If you grab your Bible, your uh, devices, whatever you're using right now, uh, we're going to look at Jude um, verses 5 to 7. In fact, I'm going to read the few, the few verses just before that to help, again, bring us into the context. Jude is the second last book of the Bible right before Revelations, easy to find. And we're going to read starting at verse 3. Dear friends, I have been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share. But now I find that I must write about something else, urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your church, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So here it is, verse 5. This is where we're going to focus on this morning, these next three verses. So, I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. But later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. We're looking at these three examples that, give, that Jude gives us to help us understand that the stakes of keeping the faith are really high. Jude warns of these people who've crept in and that are among them. And then he tells us these three stories. These three stories in the Bible uh, uh, that he wants us to understand. And we want to just look at them really briefly this morning. These stories tell of the consequences for disobedience and from turning from God. And we could preach a whole sermon series on each of these stories in and of themselves. But Jude shares these familiar stories with, us, with his readers and with us because they are so well known. And I hope you know some of these stories and you can look at those stories on your own uh, later. He starts with probably the most legendary story for the people of Israel, the centerpiece to their faith, and that was the deliverance of the people of Israel out of the bondage of slavery from Egypt. And they still uh, see the Passover celebration as one of the key celebrations for the Jewish people. Verse 5, he says, So, as he previously said, So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt. But later, he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. Who did not remain faithful. In this rescue, we, we have the ten plagues that convinced Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. go. And then the name Passover comes from the tenth plague, which all the firstborn in the land would die unless there was blood spread across the doorpost. And if there was, the angel of death would pass over their home and spare them. There was great sadness in the land 
great sadness. But those who had, those of the Israelites that had this, the blood put across the door were spared this deep pain. But because of this final plague, Pharaoh finally let the people go. Get out of here. Go. And in this rescue, God, we see God in the pillar of, of fire that led them out of Egypt. Uh, there's the journey that led them to the Red Sea, which God parted, and the Israelites walked across on dry land. And then we see the, the armies of Pharaoh uh, die as the water came back over, and they were killed, spared. The Israelites were rescued there. Then there was the water that God provided out of a rock because they were thirsty, dying of thirst. And, and, and as they were starving, he provided bread or manna from heaven that came down or quail to help feed them. And story after story of God's faithfulness. But there are two places where they turned from God and there was huge consequences. Exodus 32, when Moses was up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, And because he took so long, the people turned from trusting God. And they turned to Aaron, the high priest at the time, to build them a golden calf. Because they wanted to see something. They wanted to trust in something they could see. And you can read that story in Exodus chapter 32. And at the end of that, there was about 3,000 people that were killed and destroyed. And because they abandoned, they turned from God. And then later as they stood at the edge of the promised land and they could not believe that God would lead them to victory in this new land, this new land that was flowing with milk and honey, their promised land, they couldn't just, they couldn't imagine. I mean, yeah, there were some giants and it was going to be some hard times, but they, they said, no, we're not doing it. And so God allowed these people to wander in the wilderness and die for their disobedience. And again, you can read that story in Deuteronomy chapter 1. They would not receive the joy of living in the promised land. Their children would, the next generation would, but not them. Unbelief kept them from all that God had for them. His love. God wanted to bless them. He wanted to bring them into this land, into this promised land. But they, they just couldn't trust him. God in his love wants to bring us into an amazing life of relationship with him. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And God wants to bring us into an abundant life as well. But unbelief, rejection will rob us of the things that God desires for us. We turn our back on God when we say no. We miss out on the amazing gift that God has for us. And ultimately, eternal life through Jesus. Jude tells us that there were these false teachers, again, that were creeping in, that had watered down the gospel and and were teaching some other gospel, some other faith that was going to be easier than the gospel message, other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus only. The consequences are big. The second story that Jude reminds us of is of of a more cosmic nature. This is a crazy story to think about, and we don't really understand, I don't really understand it, how this could have happened, but it did. The Bible indicates that perhaps as many as a third of the angels rebelled along with Satan, their leader. There is this, uh, there's passages that you can go back to and look at in Revelations 12, uh, Isaiah 14, 2 Peter 2, 
uh, 2, and maybe even the story back in Genesis 6 is a part of this. And we're not going to go into those details, but it seems clear that there was a cosmic battle of angels, along with Satan, who challenged and abused their power and authority, and they were cast, or at least most of them, were cast into darkness to await their final judgment. In fact, if you look at the passage in 2 Peter 2, it sounds an awful lot like this one. In verse 6 of Jude, it says, And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for, a great, for the great day of judgment. Crazy. The Bible does speak about the roles of angels in a number of places. In Psalm 91.11, we see, it says, For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. Or in Hebrews 1.14, it says, Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. One of my favorite passages is, is from Luke 15, verse 10. And it says there, In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. The cosmic celebration when the angels uh, with the angels, when someone comes to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's an awesome thing to remind, remember, that every time someone chooses to follow Jesus and commits their life to Jesus, there is a cosmic celebration. And of course, we see lots of places in Scripture where angels were messengers of God. In fact, we just came through Easter, and of course, we remember the roles of a few of the angels there, where an angel came to Mary and Joseph, and the angels came to the shepherds out on the field uh, watching over their flocks, and an angel came to tell them of the birth of Jesus. And then a whole multitude came praising God, right? And we know the story. We've heard it. We know that the, there is that role that the uh, angels take. In this passage, however, we understand that these fallen angels challenged God, and he had them imprisoned as it says, waiting their final judgment. Let me say, if angels cannot break the chains sin brought upon them, we are foolish to think that humans can break them. We can't set ourselves free from these chains, but we can only in the power of Jesus. Okay? And this warns us that we also must continue walking with Jesus and fighting and defending the faith. If the past spiritual experience and position of these angels, their role, their position before God, didn't guarantee their future spiritual state, then neither does ours. We must keep walking and be on guard. The one thing that does guarantee is, is our place with Jesus, is, is that we've given our life over to Jesus. When we commit our life to him, when we put our trust and our hope in him, we are guaranteed salvation in Jesus. This faith is worth fighting because the stakes are eternal and no one is exempt. No one is exempt. God's chosen people of Israel weren't and nor were his angels. That's pretty crazy. 
The last example that Jude reminds us of is of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 7, and don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. They serve as a warning for us. Sodom and Gomorrah, these two cities and the cities around them, also stand as an example of God's judgment. Their sin, which was mostly a sexual immorality, but includes other sins as well, I'm sure, finally brought on God's judgment. Eternal fire of God's judgment. So not just a light slap on the hand. This was a big deal. This was eternal judgment. Sodom and Gomorrah were considered at one time blessed area. They had it all. They had everything. They had well-watered land, and they were just, it was like the Garden of Eden in a sense. That was why Lot, Abraham's nephew, chose to go live in that area back in Genesis chapter 13. It was kind of like the prime real estate of the region. They were a blessed area. And so this story reminds us that no matter how affluent or blessed we seem to be, We need to continue to follow God and pursue Him in all our lives and fight for this faith, the gospel of Jesus. Not to be fearful. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we don't have to run in fear and be fearful when we are living according to this, the scriptures, the gospel. These three stories were told to remind us and help us realize if we don't know already that the stakes are very high. They're very high for us not to be fighting for this faith. People's eternal destination is at stake. How big is that when we talk about the importance of this? I want to leave you with some questions knowing how important and how big this fight really is. And this first one is, is, what does this fight look like for you? What does this fight look like for you? Fighting for the faith. And maybe we need to ask the question, are you actually fighting this faith? Are you fighting this fight? How? How? How are you doing it? The best place to start is on our knees. Prayer. Really asking God to show us where we are at in this fight. And then listen. Desperately listen for what God is saying to you. This reminds me of an illustration, a story um, in the Lord of the Rings movie. Our family loves The Lord of the Rings, and we just finished watching it over Christmas. And there's a place in the movie where Merry and Pippin, they're two hobbits, uh, and they've escaped the clutches of a pack of orcs, these bad, ugly-looking guys. I'm sure most of you have seen it, but if you haven't, I'll try to explain it. So these two little hobbits are fleeing, and they've escaped this pack of orcs, and they run into this forest, and they're followed by this little ugly guy, orc. And he tries to chase him down. But he's saved. The, the two hobbits are saved by Treebeard. Treebeard 
is a tree ant. And a tree ant is a shepherd of the forest. And he basically looks like a big tree, a big, massive, stubby-looking tree. And he saves these two hobbits. And he's not totally sure what to think of these two hobbits. Are they orcs? Are they the good guy? What, What are they? He eventually takes them to meet other tree ants like himself. To discuss what to do with them. And Merry and Pippin also are wanting them to join in the fight that's going on with their friends. And he says, the, the boy, these, these two guys say, our friends need help. You need to join the fight. Well, these old trees take quite a while to discuss. But eventually, they decide that this is not their fight. They say, this is not our fight. Mary and Pippin are pretty sad and disappointed, and Treebeard picks them up and begins to take the hobbits back to the Shire, or at least head back that direction. And as they slowly saunter along, Treebeard saunters along, taking them, um, Pippin, one of, the po- one of the hobbits, thinks of an idea. And he goes, if I could just get Treebeard to go past Isengard. It's a tower that's the, one where the enemy's at. Maybe he'll see something. And so he convinces Treebeard to turn around and go south. And as they head south, they do go past Isengard. And as they go past there, Treebeard sees the devastation of the forests that have been caused all around Isengard. Forests have been burned and used for fuel. It's a massive devastation. And Treebeard looks and he says, some of these trees, they were my friends. And he calls the forests to come alive, and they fight and overtake Isengard. You see, once Treebeard realized the stakes, he was all in. Once he realized of the devastation, and that he and the rest of the forest, they were in this fight. He was all in. Jude is reminding us about the stakes. Do we realize the stakes? for us, for those around us. Are we all in on this fight? Are you all in on this fight? What does this fight look like for you? Are you actually fighting the fight? Or are you just sitting by passively watching, letting someone else, letting someone else do it, and you're comfortable hanging out, doing your stuff? What does it look like for you in this fight? Pastor Aaron will close uh, out this sermon series next week with Choose Your King. He will be challenging us with choosing Jesus as our authority. And then we're going to be heading into another series on the Lord's Prayer. And again, prayer is the easiest and the first place we need to be to figure out where we are at in this fight. And so this morning, as we close, as we understand the stakes, read through this passage again. Read those stories. Go back and dig into those stories again and understand that the stakes are really high for not following Jesus 100%, protecting the faith, holding to what Jesus has taught us in this book, the Bible. Jesus only. We're going to close with some worship.